We are listener-supported community radio. We are WPKN in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 89.5 FM. Lisa Saholka, I am here with you until 4 p.m. I'm doing afternoon jazz. And as you know, typically at 2 o'clock when I'm here at the station, which, by the way, I'm so glad to be back here at the station actually doing radio from WPKN. Usually at 2 o'clock, I have a a jazz interview with a jazz musician uh, and then play some of their music. It so happens that I also am the chief operating officer at the Century Foundation, to which I am so honored to be, by the way. And uh, we have a, a staff meeting every week on Friday, and a different staff member uh, presents every week. And so uh, this week, we had J.D. Mazura, who uh, presented to us. And you you know me for a long time that, you know, it's not easy to make me cry, right? But I got tears in my eyes when I was listening to him, and I thought this was such a compelling story that you needed to hear it too. So I want to, I want to welcome J.D. J.D., are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm so glad to hear you, and I want to uh, first welcome you to WPK, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on today, and, you know, I look forward to our conversation. So, you know, tell us a little bit, before you get into your story, um, that I I really want everyone to hear, but before you get into that, tell me a little bit, you've had a tremendous career trajectory. Um, including working with some, you know, people that uh, I, I think would bowl other people over. And I think that, um, you know, for you, maybe this has just become kind of a normal thing to do all these amazing things. But tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing. Sure, absolutely. So before I um, currently, of course, I'm the government affairs assistant at the Century Foundation, which we both are so honored to work at. And I'm so happy that I got the opportunity to continue to do the work that I'm so passionate about at TCF. But before I joined TCF, I was um, I earned the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute Public Policy Fellowship, in which I completed two fellowships, one at the Aspen Institute Latinos in Society program, working on um, public policy, researching and developing solutions on how we can, you know, make economic mobility a reality for Latino-owned businesses, entrepreneurs and the workforce. And then after my time ended there, I was the legislative fellow for Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York's 14th District. For the first two weeks, I was just the legislative fellow, and then um, my chief of staff approached me and wanted me to co-lead her immigration portfolio. Uh, Prior to moving to D.C. and working in politics there, I was an organizer, grassroots organizer, you know, advocating for immigrant communities, working on congressional campaigns, presidential campaigns, and other forms of either single issue, right, campaigns that really impacted not only the Latino community, but also immigrants from all across the world. And so I was communications director for the Hispanic uh, Democrats in Charlotte, North Carolina, Chief of Staff for the College Democrats of North Carolina, and a multitude of other things um, that I'm very proud of that I got to do. Including a recent graduation, if I don't remember correctly. Yes, a recent graduation uh, from Queen's University of Charlotte, where I majored in political science. So congratulations on that. And so, you know, what I actually brought you here to talk about, um, you know, I think for a lot of people, and, and certainly J.D. Pushback, 
if you want to here, but I think the word DACA, right? It's hard for people sometimes to put a face to what that means, right? And so you're going to give me an opportunity to do that this afternoon. So can you tell us a little bit about your most recent story? Yeah, sure thing. Um, You know, my family and I migrated to the United States uh, when I was only five months old, right? And I came here and I grew up thinking that I was just like everyone else, thinking that I had the same opportunities that everyone else did. I mean, my parents literally loved and aspired to reach the American dream. I mean, that's what they, that's what they told me since I was little. You are going to be our American dream. It wasn't until I was um, applying to schools um, for undergrad uh, during my high school career that I realized that something was off, right? I was paying international rates for college applications. I wasn't eligible for financial aid, but all around me, my counterparts, my peers, my friends, they were able to get a bunch of scholarships, have financial aid, pay $25 for an application fee where I paid $90 for one. It's like something's not wrong here. And I sat down with my family and had to have a tough conversation that I was undocumented and a DACA recipient. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means that, um, well, where did DACA come from? Uh, President Obama signed an executive order, uh, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, in which if you're a kid of a certain age and came to the United States at a certain time, you were provided deportation relief and a work permit to stay in the United States, right? But your parents weren't protected, and you didn't get an opportunity to apply for financial aid for colleges, nor did you get the opportunity to vote. I mean, literally, the law recognized that you've been here for a certain amount of time, which usually turns out to be a long amount of time, and you still were not giving these rights and privileges that other people did have. But, yes, work for us, you know, contribute to the economy. And so as of recently, as of actually last Thursday, I'm proud to say that after a long 22 years in the United States, expensive, right, and tiring, um, I finally became a United States citizen. And I want to congratulate you for that. And I want to tell you how moving your story is and how moving it was both when I heard it last week and and it's moving again. Here I am at the station again in tears. I'm so glad nobody else is here so they can't see it. That's there are some there are some advantages of radio. Right. Um, So before you go, I I want to ask you one other question. And I appreciate uh, you uh, being an improv kind of guy and letting me uh, bring up this news item with you. But, um, you know, this morning, I was listening to NPR, and, you know, the uh, Kamala Harris is in Guatemala, and, you know, the term she used, she asked, she said to migrants, do not come. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe 
If you come to our border, you will be turned back. And I wanted to know, I mean, I know how I experienced that. I lived in Guatemala for a while, and I have, you know, um, some emotions around that issue. But I wanted to know how, how you experienced that. Despite the flaws that you, myself, and other people that are in these spaces recognize that the United States have, has, we still believe that it can be this great thing. I mean, my parents believed in that. You know, in Colombia, where that's my home country, where we are originally from, people are dying in the streets because of COVID. There are no vaccines available for people. There are no hospital beds available for people. My mom, at least here in the United States, can go to a hospital, can go to an emergency room and be given right care, the correct care, despite not having the enough funds to afford it, nor having health insurance to cover it. That's what's beautiful about the United States, right? Like there are things that people can do, that people can, you know, focus on and fight for, and they will get however, right? But but also to recognize that there are disparities, huge economic and socioeconomic disparities among the black, Latino, and indigenous communities that prevent us from getting there. But To answer your direct question, I want to give you this quote. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breath free. That's ingrained in the Statue of Liberty. That is what immigrants generations ago was the first thing they saw. You know, that's what our founding fathers did, right? They were fleeing from Great Britain to have religious freedom, to have self-government. They fought for that right. And when I hear Vice President Kamala Harris stand in front of a news conference with the Guatemalan president say, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making the dangerous trip to the United States-Mexico border, do not come, do not come. It's hurtful. It's ironic coming from the first daughter of immigrant vice president, right? Like a person of color. I mean, not not the first, uh, you know, daughter or son of immigrants, but like directly, right? Like this is the closest proximity that we have gotten that an immigrant is in office right now, you know, fighting for rights, fighting for the people to say those words. I think it's not only hurtful to that rhetoric, right? Illegal migration, is all, it's also hurtful to immigrant community today here in the United States, in their own home. And I think that instead of discouraging people mm-hmm. from coming to the United States, you know, especially since the United States continuously frames themselves to be a country of immigrants, right? Why, why not go there for the sole reason that the vice president is there right now? To find the causes of root migration. Exactly. To understand that the United States and their foreign policy towards Latin America has caused the region to be destabilized. To be, you know, to, to have high crime rates. Right. Like, that's the reason. Right. I and mean, people people are not fleeing the country just because they want to. Right. They're fleeing violence, prosecution, gang wars, 
government corruption. You know, and to tell somebody, do not come, do not come. That's, first of all, it's not an easy decision to make. To go through everything to get to the United States and seek asylum. And that's the thing. You know, there is this um, assumption that seeking asylum, right? This preconceived notion that seeking asylum, and, and uh, unfortunately, the vice president kind of, you know, referred to it in this way, that it's illegal. It's not. It is a legal form of migration. Agreed. You come to the United States and you seek asylum and you ask for protection and you have the right to get it. And so those are my initial reactions. I don't I don't think it's helpful. I think it's counterproductive. And I think it goes against what the administration ought to be doing and promised the American people, which was, you know, find the root causes of migration, address them. Because people coming from Central America, from South America, you know, really going through that dangerous journey, it's not because they just want to. It's because years, hundreds of years of unfair U.S. foreign policy towards that region has caused, you know, what we are seeing right now, what we are experiencing right now. So I have to tell you, I'm going to have to figure out a way to have you come back to my jazz show. I don't know how I'm going to squeeze what you're talking about into my jazz show, but I'm going to find a way to do it. So I want to thank you so much for your time. And I do want to say, just as a side comment to agree with you, that if there were legal ways that people could easily migrate into the United States, obviously that's what they would be doing, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent, right. And so we're making people, um, uh, you know, in a sense... Uh, criminals that really are should not have to be. But anyway, J.D. Mazur, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about this. And I want to congratulate you again, both on, on your uh, graduation and on your naturalization. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lisa. Really appreciate it. Thank you again for having me on. Okay, thanks, J.D. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. And we are listener-supported radio. We are WPKN in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 89.5 FM. You never know what you're going to get at WPKN. You're listening to a jazz show, and we'll just flip to the news, right? Mm-hmm.